Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf, and welcome to my podcast, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, where you're going to learn how to take charge of your runaway thoughts. In today's episode, I talk to clinical psychologist Dr. Becky Kennedy mom of three, on rethinking the way we raise our children. In this episode, we talk about the importance of saying sorry to your children and that it's never too late to fix the mistakes that you've made as a parent. We also talk about what to do when we break down in front of our kids and how to explain these emotions so that our children can learn to understand emotions and not blame themselves and also to understand how to process their own emotions. We also talk about how to teach kids not to doubt their own feelings and that it's okay to say no and it's never too late to learn to change. But before we begin... If you haven't yet subscribed, subscribe to my podcast wherever you subscribe to podcasts. And if you haven't yet picked up a copy of my new book, Cleaning Up Your Mental Mess, go pick up your copy wherever books are sold and there's also the audio book that I narrated. One more note before we begin. This podcast is for educational purposes and is not medical advice. And on to today's episode. Dr. Becky, I'm so excited to be talking to you today about such an important topic, how to help our kids with their emotions and how to help us with our kids. <laughs> and you really have some wonderful posts on your Instagram and I've selected a couple to talk about today. So welcome. And this is going to be a fun and very important conversation. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to dive in with you. Wonderful. Fantastic. Well, I've got your Instagram page open and I was going through your posts and you put up some really amazing posts and I selected a few that I thought that my audience would love. As I talk so much about emotions being in warning signals and how we've got to be thought detectives and these things like that and, and the work that I do cleaning up the mental mess, which is the name of the podcast and my latest book, I've been emphasizing a lot to parents and to people in general, adults as well, about emotions being signals that we can then do the work to find out what they actually mean, they're symptoms of. So I love how you have focused on explaining emotions to your children because that's a question I get asked so much and your the way you handle it is beautiful. So I'm going to read it and then I'm just going to pick out a few of your comments that you put underneath and then and the comment section and then I'm going to hand it over to you. So the first thing, explaining your emotions to your child. Just like we talk about your big feelings, adults have big feelings too. Sometimes I need a bit of time to myself to care for the feelings in my body. In these moments, I'm not leaving you. I'm not mad and you didn't do anything wrong. I'm still your strong papa who loves you so much. So we can avoid inducing guilt or responsibility by owning our feelings and asserting our permanence. I cannot say how much I agree with that statement. How we, this thing of you got to go hide behind closed doors or pretend you're perfect or it's okay to be, have an emotion, embrace it, process it, reconceptualize it. If you model it for your kids, they know what to do. So take it away. I love the way you've put this post together. Yeah. There's so many things you just highlighted there. So I'll just start going and you tell me, you know, we'll pivot from there. So number one, every parent has feelings. We have feelings. They come out. Our kids see them. And I think. We wouldn't want it any other way, right? I mean, our kids are learning so much about the world through their experience with us. And 
I don't want my kids to think, you know, one day I'm just going to be neutral all the time, or one day I'm going to have everything figured out and handle every situation perfectly. And that's just it's such a awful way to be prepared for adulthood, right? So the difference, I think, in the nuance is we're going to have these emotional displays. Then what? And also kind of what my post points to is knowing we're going to have the emotional displays, what can we do before? I always think about before the moments and after the moments. I think so many of us as parents or adults, people ask me like, well, what do I do in this moment? And then they describe some moment and I'm like, I have no idea. Like, I don't have any good ideas. Like that's, that's so hard. We get through hard moments, but where we can really help kids is before and after. So prepping kids, just so, especially if you're going through a difficult time and my, you know, my, my aunt who I'm so close to is sick or we're dealing with a stressful period in the world. And I know I'm someone who cries a good amount. Talk about that with your kids before, right? To me, one of the big ideas I like to really share with parents is that it's not information that scares kids. It's the absence of information. So good. Brilliant. Right. And when kids are alone, they still perceive everything. They see you crying. And I was actually just writing this this chapter actually of my upcoming book where I was quoting the study that shows that kids notice more than adults, right? Kids haven't learned to attend. Well, kids have kids attend to everything because they haven't learned what's really dangerous and what's merely annoying and what's safe. And they notice every detail in their environment because they have to be hyper vigilant to change and assume change is dangerous before an adult explains that they're actually safe, right? We have to assume the rustling in the forest is a squirrel before an adult says, actually, it's a bear. And or we have to assume it's a bear before we go. And the parent can say, no, you're safe. That was just, you know, a squirrel. You can go play. And so when we get really upset, we have to say something to our kids or else they assume the world is kind of crumbling around them. Oh no, what made my mom do that? And then often they also do what kids do to explain the unexplained. They blame themselves to get control. I must have done something. I'm a bad kid. I made that happen if I'm only you know, better behaved. And that actually doesn't actually really change things in a positive way for kids. It just layers them with guilt and shame, right? So when we own that, you might see mommy crying. You might see daddy getting upset. That's never your fault. And even when I cry, I'm still your strong mom who loves you. Or after, what I like to say to my kids a lot is this line, you were right to notice that. And I just think that's such a confidence building phrase for kids. Like you saw mommy crying, you were right to notice that. Kind of saying you can trust your perceptions in the world as you get older And then you can go a myriad of ways. What was that like for you? Or yes, I was crying for this reason. Yeah, adults cry sometimes and adults can cry and still make you dinner. I can be your mom who shows up for you and be sad. Just like when you're sad, you can still do your homework or whatever it might be. So yes, all of this comes from our willingness to kind of name what's true and talk about it and take off the pressure for ourselves to kind of be neutral or perfect on the surface. I love that. You know, I was just doing an interview recently and they they were asking me about mind management with kids and things. And one of the things I said to them was, you have to actually be open, fight behind closed doors and never say anything about it. That's terrifying for your kids. But if you have an argument, let them see that 
people do argue and then but make sure that you resolve it and you explain it to them so then you're like okay, we dad and mom had an argument i know it's scary that we shouted or whatever but this is why we did it and this is our solution and this is what we how we you know but in whatever obviously age appropriate and level appropriate but that's what you're saying is to give them that information and these people were quite surprised when I said that it was sort of this thing of well shouldn't you keep the arguments away from the kids no because then when they get to an adulthood and they have an argument with a loved one or a spouse or a a friend they don't know what to do you know because it's oh you're not supposed to argue adults aren't supposed to have feelings as you said neutral I love that so yeah that is that's really important that we are honest with our emotions and that goes as well Becky Dr. Becky for you know, your teenage kids, your adult kids, it's still important to you. You're still mom and you're still dad. And even though they may be mature adults, like my kids are all in their twenties and between twin and I've got two married kids, but you still have to tell them how you feel. You still have to, you know, there's a little bit less explaining to be done, but you still need to say, listen, I do feel this and it's okay. And this is what I'm doing about it. How do you feel about, you know, the adult child and Absolutely. And I think, I mean, I think that's so important across the board, right? Because I think about ourselves, like it, we're so, so many of us are prone to interpreting other people's stuff as our own fault, right? Why did my boss talk to me that way? I guess I didn't do in that report or why did my partner so snippy to, you know and it's so relieving when someone owns their emotions hey i had a bad day at work and i think that's why i snapped at you and i don't know anyone who doesn't say oh at least it's not at least it's not me okay you know now i feel <laughs> now i feel better and i think we have to realize again the goal isn't to not have emotions we want to help our kids understand that and have a story around it, right? I mean, I think a lot, and I'm sure you do too, about this like fancy phrase, unformulated experience for kids, which is, right, it's feelings and perceptions and sensations that kids have in their body, but are not met with connection and explanation. And so they're just kind of, I always imagine them as like free-floating balls of anxiety that just jump out of us as behavior. And the difference of what we can do is when we go back to our kids and say, you noticed mom was in a bad mood. I know you didn't make your bed, but that's really not what was, you know, underneath. I, I've had a tough day and I'm working on not taking that out on you. What happens to a kid in his body is that feeling now gets stored next to the story, right? Where, oh, I'm not a bad kid oh, now I have this explained. And we turn kind of this unformulated experience into a coherent narrative. And I think any, right, as as a psychologist, this is what therapy is. It's the process of making your life story more coherent. We don't, you know, change the facts, but when you make things more coherent, you understand yourself better and you get better, you know, you have kind of better control over your reactivity, reduce your triggers. And none of that, comes from lying or avoiding. It actually comes from naming and giving giving a story. It's one of the things I talk to parents all the time where just giving your kids a story, like this happened and then that, or and then your brother knocked down the tower and, and you were so sad because that tower fell and it just felt like the worst. And parents are like, well, okay, then, then what, then what? And I'm like, no, that's like, that's the thing. Like that's, <laughs> that, that's the thing. Then you just wait. And parents come back to my office saying, wow, it's so interesting. I feel like I I don't have to help rebuild the tower right away, or I don't have to give some big explanation. And I don't have to tell my kid, he doesn't have to be upset about that. Just telling that story is so so soothing because I think we're adding that connection 
and explanation and validation and all the things our feelings are kind of looking for. That's so important. And you're modeling that for the child. So when they are then, that's the best thing we can do is because the kids will do what we do, not what we say. So, you know, you might be saying, oh, I'm fine, but they can see you're not fine. I mean, you're not fine. You're feeling sad. You're feeling frustrated. There has been a tower falling down or whatever it may be. And so it's just very, very important validating for them to, and it's so interesting also how automatically as humans, we blame ourselves and think what we, what did we do wrong? And then that very often is transmitted though as a reaction that's negative towards the other person where we try and justify or defend ourselves. Meanwhile, there was no need to justify and defend because as soon as that response happens, that triggers another whole down the line argument and it's just kind of cascades, you know? So it's so important if we're just honest about who we are and where we're at and I need a bit of space just to kind of calm down. I'll be fine in a while. You know, that is so important. I mean, I think that's said exactly right. And I always think about how, you know, we we treat others the way we treat ourselves, right? So if, you know, there's a tendency to blame out, you probably have a, you know, a big history of blaming in, right? And Absolutely. Just, you transmit what you're doing to yourself. Yeah. Yes. And even just giving yourself that kind of narrative strategy, it's really powerful as an adult to say, oh, okay, so today my coffee spilled and then I got a harsh email from my boss and... Then my kids didn't like what I had for dinner. And then my partner asked me why I didn't get toilet paper. And then I had this big reaction. Like, yeah, all, all of that happened. And there's something so soothing in our body. Yeah, just to get it out. Yeah, just yeah. piecing it together. And actually practicing that with yourself means it's going to be more natural to do with your kids. <laughs> exactly. It's because you're modeling it. They'll just then you'll see them processing their stuff. It's to keep that openness, not to try and try and create this model, which was very much an old parenting style of, you know, the parents not showing the child that they have emotions and they always in control and they're the authority and they're always right. I mean, gee, how many times have we made a mess with our relationships and our decisions and hurt our kids unintentionally because of a decision that we thought was the right one, but it wasn't the right one. And it's okay for them to see that. It's okay to see that we grown, we've changed, we can say sorry. And that's another thing I wanted to ask you is just saying sorry to your kids. Because I remember when my our, my kids were growing up and I would say sorry to them. I've always said sorry to my kids. I'm very hot on, oh gosh, I really did mess up. I'm really sorry. Tell me when I've done something that I didn't know I'd done so I can say sorry and I can help you see it from another perspective. And I remember my mom and my grandmother saying, why are you saying sorry to your child? I said, because I did something wrong and then they can learn it's okay to say sorry and then you can repair the mess because and then you can grow. So I found that so interesting. How do you feel about the sort of saying sorry to your kids thing? I mean, a hundred percent, right? I mean, my what I always come back to with kids is just like how would I want to be treated in this situation, right? Who doesn't want to hear sorry when someone makes a mistake? I think sometimes we forget that our kids are they're not like they're not animals. They're closer to us as as adults, right? Like they and so, yeah, I think that, right. I mean, I think sometimes, and I think right, we are, we're, we would agree on this, that the sorry matters less than the, the tone and the intention, right? So we can say to our kids, I'm sorry for yelling, okay? And that doesn't feel good to anyone, right? But the intention to me also, when you kind of layer a sorry with a reflection, right? I'm sorry I yelled at you. You know, there was a lot going on for me and that doesn't excuse it. It means I want to get better at managing my feelings before they explode. That always makes me feel good because it seems like someone has like a plan, right? Versus right? just like uh, those words. It's not just appeasing you. It's not just appeasing you. It's not just trying to keep you off their back. It's not just, oh, sorry, just get away from me. It's actually, hey, listen, I'm sorry I impacted you. This yes. is why, this is what I'm going to hopefully do. So it's a, yes. that is so important. So they're sorry and they're sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I think repair, you use that word 
Repair is where it's at. And I, I, I just, I remember being in this, you know, this class on attachment in grad school and them talking about how repair is really a remarker of secure attachment. And, you know, and then they kept going on. And I remember thinking, wait, so if repair is marker of secure attachment, that means every parent messes up. Because in order to repair, you have to mess up. And I remember this huge like sigh of relief of like, oh, why don't they tell more people that, right? Exactly. It make parenting so much easier. You can make a mess. It's okay. Exactly. Exactly. And when I always picture repair, to me, it's as if our kids have this ending of a story that felt really, really bad. They got yelled at, like they, their parents were 30 minutes late to pick them up, which feels like massive abandonment fears, right? As a kid. And that's the ending of the story. And yet when there's a repair, you really get to go back and change the ending. You layer on connection and reflection. And I think we both know what you actually change the memory in the body because you surround it with safety. And that's just that's just feels so compelling to me that like we have the opportunity opportunity to do that. Absolutely. You know, and that's what all my work for all these 38 years is showing how you can take a thought and become a thought detective. So you can teach your kids how to literally become a thought detective and, and change how that memory, you know, cause that memory is at that, at that, the experience happened at that particular stage. And it may take a while before they come and talk to you. So it may be a week, a month, a year, two years, 20 years. But when they do, you have a chance to go at that new age that they're at and the new growth that you have to go back and actually reconceptualize that whole process because it happened but you can see it differently you know so to go back but to it's very important as you said to go back to that point of, as a child you felt like this as, a, as an eight-year-old when this happened and i'm sorry it's taken all these years that you've suppressed this and it's come or whatever or maybe a week later or a day later mm-hmm. 20 minutes later but right. it's in that moment and to be able to take them back and, and recognize and validate how they experience that moment and say okay how can we repackage this how can we see this differently so important. Then you're teaching your child to think. You know, one of the things my kids said to me is that one of the greatest gifts that, that, and I've made so many mistakes, but this was always such a highlight when they say this to me is that you taught us to think and question. And, you know, think that's like, that's what I try to teach my kids to do. think through everything, challenge everything. And it's as a parent, you grow children up that are challenge everything. Let me tell you, my kids challenge and question everything, but that is good because even though it may be make your parenting sometimes quite difficult it is good because they're thinking things through they're working things out and that's that's what we need isn't it i mean we have to equip our kids with the tools to manage being an adult i think that i mean that's why i care so passionately about parenting and you know it's actually it's often surprising to people but i actually don't work with kids in my private practice i haven't for years i work with adults and do kind of very deep psychotherapy and i always feel like my best ideas for parents about kids come from my work with adults where I can really see how the adaptations they had to make to really survive in their early years and really worked for them for so long start working against them, right? But it's hard to get our bodies to release patterns that were put in place to you know, help us survive and adapt. And if we can take what we know about what we need by the time we're adults and kind of, like you said, repackage or reverse engineer that to parents to give it to this generation of kids. And we can create circuitry for kids today that actually support healthy functioning and adult. And I mean, that's like the greatest gift I want to give my three kids too, is like, you know, there doesn't mean they're not going to make mistakes. They're all going to be different. And certainly it means a childhood that's exhausting for a, a parent because we're not just parenting our kids into compliance, right? No, no. We all need to give our brains a lot of rest and love each day. And one of my favorite ways to relax and let off steam is by playing Best Fiends. 
the top-rated and possibly the best mobile puzzle adventure game. Best Fiends gives you hours of fun, casual gameplay that never gets old, with thousands of levels plus new content and events added all the time. So when I need to unwind, I can always count on Best Fiends. My whole family and I play Best Fiends and have had so much fun competing against each other. It's a great way to build more fun and joy into your daily routines. With Base Fiends, there's something new today and tomorrow and every day after that. So you never get tired of solving puzzles. Good news with Best Fiends. The fun never ends. Just don't blame me if you become slightly obsessed. Download Best Fiends free today on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R, Best Fiends. The link and details will be in the show notes. That's very different and it never ends because as adults, but you know what was great about that, Becky, is as adults, they come back, they're always with you and they're always still challenging you. But that's that you are the center of this challenge, which is fantastic. You know what I'm saying? You keep them there because they feel safe enough to be able to challenge you. And and parents mustn't be scared of that. It's very important too. And it's okay to change. You know, my kids sometimes will remind me, you know, you've got little ones. I have big ones. My kids will sometimes remind me, Mom, remember when you did? And then they tell me this thing and they go, why on earth did I do that? How could I? How stupid? But at the time, that was what I thought was the best thing. But now as an adult, I can hear, okay, this is what it did to me, mom. It actually did this and this and this. And I feel terrible, but I can take the terrible. And I can then help them repackage, go through that pain, re-look re at it. We can cry together, laugh together, whatever. And you can move forward. And that's the process of make the mess, repair, and grow. Yeah. I mean, I, I always... I really do believe this about humans at any age, that we are all doing the best we can with the resources we have available to us in that moment. And we can learn and shift and kind of we are doing the best we can and we can do better, right? And I think it's like just holding holding both of those. And it sounds like one of the things... Holding hold both. Holding both. Holding Sorry, both. I mean to interrupt you. I love that. Holding both. You can change and you can, you can you know, grow and repair. Uh, exactly. I mean, to me, one of the most popular posts I've put up is really like a general idea or principle that I name as kind of two things are true, right? And this happens with parenting all the time. Like two things are true. I'm not going to let you hit your brother. And I see you're actually having a really hard time. I have empathy for you and I'm going to put up this boundary. Or two things are true. I just yelled at my kids and I'm a good mom. I'm not a worse mom in that moment. They can both be true, right? And I think holding those dialectics is what is what we learn to do to not spiral into the abyss of shame that we all that we all go into so often that's brilliant that's absolutely brilliant and i'm so glad you brought that up because i cannot agree with you more as a parent that's been one of the things that that saved me from spiraling into those as a young mom i wish i knew that you know as a young mom it was easier to tell my patients what to do i was practicing already then than tell myself what to do but you quite right i recently did a podcast on it's not either or it's and and it's the same concept it's the yes. same concept we've got to hold it you can love and be angry at the same time because that anger is a or or, or be correcting or something because if yeah. you're hurting your sister, you you know you don't hurt your sister. You've got to stop, you know, whatever, or you've going down some negative pathway. So that and thank you for raising yeah. that because I think that's vital. And you know, to, I just kind of launched this. I guess I've I don't even know what to call it, but I guess umbrella for everything I'm doing, and the name of it is Good Inside. And to me, that's like I just think that is everything I come back to that, and it it's what allows us to be curious. Like I can be curious about my kid lying to me. If I realize, wait, he's a he's a good kid. He's having a hard time with something. He's not 
he's not a bad kid doing bad things. He's a good kid having a hard time. And that activates my curiosity, right? And to me, I actually think kids at their core, one of the most important things in their development is they know when they're struggling, if their parents are looking at them like they're a bad kid doing bad things or like a good kid having a hard time. I think it's all the difference in their self-worth. Oh, it's a huge (laughs) difference. What you've just said there is huge. They're a bad kid doing bad things or they're a good kid going through a hard time. I mean, that's just profound. That's a statement that we could like mic drop right there because it's really important for us to see our kids because it's so easy to compare your kids, to look around, to think you're going through worse times or having harder times. But listen, that you've got to look at that child as a child who's struggling in life and a unique experience. No one's ever been that child before, so no one's ever thought that thought before, so no one's ever had that experience of life before. So we have to treat them with that uniqueness and not compare them. That's another huge thing, isn't it? Not to compare. And it's hard not to. Huge. And all those comparisons, it makes me think about the difference between looking at your kid like your kid is good inside versus good kid. Because good kid is a very restrictive label. I know I was a good kid growing up. It essentially means you have no needs and wants of your own and you just, you know, kind of take care of the system, right? (laughs) So that's very limiting to the range of who you can be. But the idea of my kid is good inside actually expands the feelings we can have and the thoughts we can have. And right, the more feelings and thoughts and urges we allow ourselves to have the less likely any of them are to come out in behavior. So it all kind of works to the same goal anyway. It's actually kind of more effective, not just feel good, you know? So yeah, I think I that's I love it. that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's such quality parenting. It's also such quality because I think sometimes we think that as a parent, well, you you know, you don't have a life anymore. Your whole life is now geared to, you know, it's, it's all about doing the right thing for your kids. And, and yes, it is, but there's an and there too. It's also about yes. you. You can 100%. also have your life. And, you can also cry still and get worked up and, and make mistakes. You've got to, we've got to give ourselves that leeway as parents, yeah. and then you'll be a better parent. Absolutely. And I think that's another thing, right? I mean, I, nobody would describe me as a permissive parent. And I think that, you know, our kids, they need like, they need a sturdy leader, right? That's what they're really looking for. Absolutely. Right. And I, I've said this before, but to me, it really encapsulates the idea. Like I think about being on a plane and if there was insane amounts of turbulence, like, I don't want a pilot who says, oh, like, this is so bad. Come, come take over the the plane for me. Someone who kind of gets in my feelings with me. And I also wouldn't feel safe with a pilot who says, like, stop yelling back there. You're freaking out for no reason, right? Like, you want a parent who has a boundary, a pilot who says, I know you're scared. That's fine. You can have that feeling. It's not my feeling. And I know what I'm doing and don't come to the cockpit because like, this is my space to to fly this plane. Right. And I think that boundary is what makes kids feel safe. Right. So I say to my kids all the time, things like, no, there's no more screen time. I know you're upset. I would actually be upset too. Part of my job is making decisions I think are good for you. Even when you're not happy with me. It happens not to be a part of my job. I particularly love, but we're both doing our jobs. I'm saying no, you're upset and you know, we'll, we'll make it through this. And that actually makes kids feel really, feels really safe that their feelings aren't contagious to us and don't overpower us. They don't come into the cockpit and take over because they're scared. I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that contagious concept. And I love the fact that you've, you've said the no, but you've given the reason. So you haven't just said the no, you've done that, Larry. It's like the sorry thing you said earlier on. You say sorry, but you're giving a reflection. So you're giving the the boundary with, once again, a reflection. So there's an explanation of the boundary. It doesn't mean we have to like it, but there's the acknowledgement of none of us like this boundary. But listen, this is just what we have to do to land the plane. Yeah. And you know, so that's mm. yeah, I love that. That's that's amazing. That's so good. Well, let's mm-hmm. let's let's talk about 
I want to touch on this because we know that sexual abuse in kids is like one in point girls, one in six in boys, and that's reported. It's probably a lot more. And there's so much, you know, boundary setting that needs to be, and just not even just with sexual abuse. It's, you know, it's, as a child grows up, the things that they can be exposed to. And then in a marriage, what should you say yes and no to? And, you know, there's so much, there's so many gray areas in this whole thing. And I wanted to touch on that because we get a lot of questions as well from people that are from kind of uber religious environments as well. And there's been so many rules that there's been a lot of confusion about all kinds of stuff. So I just liked the way you handled this concept. And also because I'm a neuroscientist that mind Every experience gets built into the brain, the body, and the mind, three places. And until we become a thought detective and, re and embrace process and reconceptualize, we're going to be very controlled about them. And you give really practical hands-on on stuff in this particular post. So I'm going to read it to you, and then once again, we can Great. have a nice discussion. So you talk about your post is building circuitry for consent and saying no. Love it. Your child wants to stay by your side at a party is the example you give. And then you say this to the child. Tell your child, I'm here. You can stay by, my, by me for as long as you want. You'll know when you feel ready to join. Child learns, I can trust my pace and sense of readiness. So let's, and then we read the next one and we yeah. can just take it wherever. Your child is happily playing with a toy. Her younger sister starts crying and demands the toy right now. Tell your child, you're allowed to have that toy. Those are Kaisha's sad feelings, and I can help her with them. It's not your job to make her feel happy. That's brilliant, that phrase. It's not your job to make someone else feel happy. Child learns. I don't have to suppress my wants to satisfy others. Wow, that's like so important. I can recognize someone else's disappointment without feeling responsible for causing it or making it go away. Because there's other stuff on this post, but let's talk about those two things first. Yeah. I don't know where you want to start because it's all I, gold. I have the chills <laughs> when I think about it. That's. I think it was one of my more popular posts because it just speaks to something we all need and and honestly my um, my instagram following you know is like 95% female so i know it especially resonates with women because i think girls were put in the good kid role meaning again i suppress my wants and needs to take care of the wants and needs in others because that's what gets me loving looks it all goes back to attachment as primary because that's when i get the most connection right and when i say no i'm not sharing with my brother i get a, oh he's a baby you have to oh, what is so selfish why does it really matter to you where i'm really learning this has nothing to do with the toy what i'm learning is oh my goodness my wants for myself are actually relationship damaging with my most important caregivers, which extends to my most important attachments later in life, right? I mean, when we zoom out, and again, why parenting matters so much is, you know, we, I always think about this and it's always kind of disturbing, but I hear a lot colloquially, people are like, oh, they don't even remember those early years. Like, doesn't, they don't remember. The years our kids don't remember verbally are the most, are the most important years of their life because they remember it in their body. In they their remember body. it in, terms of, in their mind, their body. Yeah. So it's in the brain. Yeah. And then maybe. the mm. attachment patterns we set with our kids, I was thinking like, that's actually who our kids become attracted to. They actually, I, I believe attraction when we're older is the activation of our earliest attachment systems. And so if your attachment system was one in which you learned that to get love and safety, you had to look outside for what other people needed of you at the expense of looking inside at what you might need for yourself, then you're going to be attracted to partners who look for that dynamic in you, right? And that's that, that gives me the chills. That's like gives me the heebie-jeebies. That's so unfortunate. It's not because your body 
is trying to work against you. It's because your body learned to adapt that way. So it seeks what's familiar and what it's kind of mastered, right? Even if so, it's not, even if it's not survival based, it's basically what was initially survival based, but it doesn't, it's not sustainable, but it's, it's an unmet need that need that then you think you can meet it with. Yeah. And it has to be, recon, it has to be reconceptualized. Have you felt unhappy, down, or off lately? Or maybe just not entirely yourself? It would be easy to blame the news or bad things going on in the world, but believe it or not, your negative feelings could also actually be caused by gut problems. You see, serotonin is known as the happiness chemical, and 90% of your serotonin is created in your gut. What does that mean? It means that if your gut health is off, then you're just not going to feel as happy and positive as you normally do. When you start taking care of your gut, you'll be amazed at how much better you feel. Here's how I recommend you do this. Start taking Cognibiotics, the breakthrough mood-enhancing formula made by Bio-Optimizers. This formula starts with a solid foundation of prebiotics and probiotics to support gut health and positive feelings in a safe and natural way. But it doesn't stop there. Cognibiotics also includes 17 powerful brain herbs to enhance mood, manage stress and improve memory. If you think about it, Cognibiotics is almost like two supplements in one because of how it supports your mood and brain health through two different channels. Here's the best part. Cognibiotics comes with a full one-year guarantee. So I encourage you to try it risk-free and see for yourself how much better you feel. Simply go to cognibiotics.com forward slash Dr. Leaf and use Dr. Leaf 10 to receive 10% of any order. Again, it's cognibiotics.com dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. I become so influenced by Richard Schwartz's internal family systems theory. I think he understands this so well in terms of these parts of us that get frozen in time and yet take over our control tower and right kind of dictate what we do. So how does this go back to the early years? Teaching our kids to look in and trust what's happening inside them is just so critical to their confidence and ability to take care of their own needs later on, right? Self-care doesn't start when you're 18. It's not a college course, right? It's like whatever you're one. And even if it was, it's not something you learned just intellectually. It's something you need to experience permission to have self-care. And so going back to those early years, you know, our kids, when I think the toy example is an interesting one, right? Where it's actually kind of ironic where the more you make it okay for your kid to have the toy, even when the baby sister wants it, that's okay. You are playing with that toy. Take your time. You'll know when you're ready to give it up. And I can help your sister with her feelings. That's not your job. A kid is actually more able even on their own to kind of figure out that situation. And then if they do want to share, it actually comes from the goodness of their heart, not the attachment fear that I need to be the always people-pleasing kid, right? And then the the, the party example, you know, to me, shy kids, I think, and I don't even like to use that word, but kids who can be shy, to me are so misunderstood that, you know, I my daughter was like this. We'd go to a party and she'd be clinging to me until like the last five minutes and then she'd be ready to play and then she'd be upset it ended early, you know, <laughs> like for like, five years of her life. But people really worry that these kids aren't confident. I've always found that interesting. Like my kid is the only kid not joining. Like uh, why isn't there the argument? Like my kid knows what she's comfortable with. She sees all of her peers doing something and she's like, no, thanks. I don't know those people running this gymnastic class. I just don't think I'm ready to do that. And when you give your kid a message of, of you'll know 
when you're ready. Again, like when I think about my daughter at age 16, age 26, in college, at some party, dating, whatever she's going to do, I want her self-talk to be, I know when I'm ready. That person saying, hey, come back with me. It's not a big deal. Come on, you've known me forever. Come on, all the other girls are doing it. I want her to look at that person because her body circuitry doesn't know that and say, what are you talking about? I want nothing to do with you because you're trying to gaslight me rather than her body saying, it's true. I do have a a history of not really perceiving things right. And other people really do know what I want more than I know what I want. So I guess I'll go along with that. Like that is set early. That's not set when our kids are hooking up. That's set early. And so these years of learning to help our kids trust themselves is such a big focus for me of of parenting. And I think one step further, you know, we often mistake self-trust for behavior, right? So let's say my kid will never give a toy to her younger sister. And like, she just hoards all the toys. I don't want anyone to think, well, I guess Dr. Becky would say that she's just knowing her body, you know, but you can, you can do both. You can say, look, I know you really don't want to share. You want all of those toys and these toys are for everyone. I'm going to allow you to keep four and I'm going to give one to your baby sister. And still, if my daughter says, no, 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 then I would say this in that sturdy kind of leader way. I'd say, I know you're not going to like this. I'm going to take one toy and give it to your sister. You're a good kid having a hard time. I know this is going to be upsetting. That's okay. It's so hard to share. I'm here with you. So I'm still modeling those boundaries, but I'm preserving my kid as a good kid. I'm still that validating the feeling. But now behaviorally, I can see my daughter just needs my help making a good decision, but that doesn't invalidate her right to feel the way she's feeling. That's right. So you're teaching her to validate her feeling, but you're also showing that, okay, it is good to share. So you're teaching a basic principle of something with validation. So she's learned at the same time as being validated and not made to feel bad about herself because she's not sharing. You're actually teaching her to share through validation which is powerful, which is really, really powerful, very, very important. So now let's talk about the parent. You're talking about the young child. So what about your teenager? Because a lot of parenting, remember, we parent how we, we, to a certain extent, we parent how we were parented. Mm -hmm. And then we also parent how we didn't want to be parented. So there's certain obvious things that we definitely don't do, but there's certain more subtle things. And that goes to one of the comments you made earlier on. There's those that, things deep down inside that we couldn't express that are still in our body, they come out in our parenting that we don't even realize. But that does damage, for example. Yes. So now you get to the point where some some of our listeners now have kids that are already adults or they're teenagers. They're not a four-year-old. They, they may be a, a 12 or 13 to 18-year-old. And as we both yeah. know, that is the most difficult cycle in the entire human life cycle, 13 to 18. And now they're thinking, oh my gosh, is there any hope? Because yeah. there's that misinformation out there that the first seven years are the most formative in your brain can't change. As a brain scientist, neuroscientist, I know your brain is changing all the time and that that damage is done. But there's also research showing that you can have a perfect child or whatever that is. I don't think it exists, but something where it's not major abuse and so on. And you can still grow up with having a bunch of issues. In fact, you will. That's the fact. You are going to become an adult with issues accepted. That's what I tell everyone. You're all a mess. You're all a mess. That's why my podcast is called Cleaning Up the Mental Mess. It's a reality. And there's a bunch of reasons why we're a mess. And one of them is to do with our parenting. So I wanted to remove the guilt factor so that parents can hear and say, okay, so I really feel like I did everything that Becky said I mustn't do. 
And so now I'm feeling That's a terrible. great place to jump in because again, it makes me think of these two things are true that the early years matter and it's never too late. And one is not more true than the other. And I think it's important Love to understand- that. Say that right? again. Say that, that again. The early years matter and it's never too late. And one of those is not more true than the other. They're actually important to hold together because if you're listening and you're thinking, wow, there really are a lot of things I wish I did differently. And I can see why maybe my relationship with my 14-year-old is where it's at given you know, I, I didn't parent with a ton of respect or, or whatever it is. And then to come back to you know what? Like, I was a good parent having a hard time. And right to come back to that and say, okay, and I want to do things differently. And I have to honor in some ways, I probably have to speak to what happened, right? That Because those years did matter. And in doing that, it's not too late and we can change, right? I, I talk about that a lot with parents that it's never too late. And what's so interesting is if I think any of us, even as adults, right? Think about things that in our childhood that didn't feel good. And that our parents never really came to us to reflect about, right? All of us, any of us who are 30, 40, 50, 60 years old. Imagine your parent now, now saying, hey, Caroline, I'm thinking I, I did things you know, this way and I'm sure that impacted you. And I know that was a long time ago, but I'm still thinking about that. And I understand that really didn't feel good. And I'm sorry. I don't know one adult who wouldn't say, yeah. That would still feel so good. I wish my mom Exactly. Listen, I can relate to that. I am 57. My mom is 85. And we have, and she was a very controlling mom, all good intentions. But there were a lot of things that I would never do with my kids bringing them up. I did everything the opposite of what my mom did. But I know that she loved me. And that was never, ever a question. But as an as a 85-year-old, between her, in the last sort of five years, a lot of that's happened in our relationship. And it's been powerful. You know, things that, like, that, that she's sort of recognized and said, you know, I didn't do enough of this and I didn't do enough of that. And you know, and it's, and you do, you feel it's just the most, wow, that relief that, and a total, of course, that, that doesn't matter anymore. This is what mattered now, this moment, you know? You're totally still like, we're rewriting those chapters when our parents come. So, you know, anybody listening who has a kid, maybe we have a nine year old, 95 year old on this line, or maybe we have a seven year old, but probably we have people whose kids are younger than me and you, right? So, if if it would feel good to us now, I think we know there's still plenty of time. Yeah, plenty. And so to me, you know, it actually goes back to that idea of good inside that we we always need our parents to reflect on the things that ended up making us feel bad inside. And that kind of inner child is is always waiting for a repair, just always waiting for a repair and wants it and craves it. And I think that's the part of our brain that wants to rewire. It wants to feel good enough, right? Like, yeah, our mind and, is because it's going against our survival. That, that pain of that childhood trauma is going against our natural survival. So it's a toxic, I always use my toxic tree. So it's, you're quite right. It's, I mean, it's a real thought. It's made of protein. This is not just some wishy-washy thing. This is a real a substance in your brain and your mind and your body, three places it's in your DNA. So therefore, and it's threatening your survival. So therefore, when you can have repair at any age, that's so vitally important. You know, and that, and I love how you, you know, you said that and emphasize that it's just, it's critical. I have made, my husband and I have made the decision and we've done this for years. And even now as our kids are, you know, each stage is different and now they're adults and two married and they, they, and they, two of my four kids work for me. So we're all working together very close and so on is we have made the, this like a thing. We've always done it, but even more now as an adult. If there's something that comes up that we did and you were three or four, doesn't matter what age, please tell us 
so that yeah. we can, no matter how hard it is going to be maybe for us to hear it and how much we may want to justify what we did, we will listen, validate and say sorry and help you make this right. And that has been powerful in my relationship with my kids. And I cannot recommend that enough. I, I think that's so that's so important to the relationship, to the repair. And it actually goes back to what we were talking about, those circuitries around consent. Because when you go back to your kid and you just say something like, oh, that this probably felt bad to you. Or when you're open to hearing from your kid, this felt bad to me. When you essentially say, okay, my intention to the side, the impact was real. And you, I say, I say to my kids a lot, you are the only one in your body. And so you're the only one who can know how you feel. And I just like, again, when I think about what's going to protect them when they're older, it's the self-talk. I am the only one who knows how I feel. The idea that someone else could know how I feel, feelings inside me. It's like, so it's like laughable. So being open to hearing how your kids hurt, if you can take away the part of it or just put it to the side of, uh, bad mom thought, bad mom thought, I am building a relationship and I am building my kids' confidence by validating that they know when they have a sounding board to voice how something felt to them. And so concretely, if someone's listening to this thinking, okay, well, where do I start? I, I feel like I did so many things, right? I think we start by repairing with ourselves. I did the best I could with what I had at the time. Now I have more. And so I'm going to do more. Right. And to really speak to that guilt because our own guilt, it's the end. Our guilt is what prevents us from repairing. We don't want to refeel the feelings that feel so bad inside to us. It's our own kind of doubting our internal goodness. So if we just go, I, just even simply, hey, one of the things I've been thinking about is some of the ways I parented you when you were younger. And I'm pretty sure they probably felt pretty bad to you. And I'm open to hearing about those. I actually think us talking about that is going to be critical to us having a better relationship. Now, if you have a normal teenager, they're going to say, mom, can you get me some pretzels and leave me alone? Right? That's what they're going to say the first time. So just like... Yeah, don't even get... The, yeah, don't take... Don't, yeah. don't, don't take, take the bait. The yeah. Exactly. Don't take the bait. They, that's okay. Still trust it got in there. Right? When they're ready. It, it, when they're ready. Exactly. And again, I just imagine if my husband said, hey, I'm thinking about some things last year that probably didn't feel good to you. The fact that he was thinking about that, I would just be like, oh, we're good. Like, <laughs> that's so nice of you to, to spend your brain space thinking about that. <laughs> like, you care about me, right? So it's so reparative, just the act of doing that. It already shifts something between mm. your child. I love that. I love that. That's so healing. That's so good. That's so wonderful. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Public Goods, the one-stop shop for sustainable, high-quality, everyday essentials made from clean ingredients at an affordable price. Everything from coffee to toilet paper and shampoo to pet food. Public Goods is your new everything store, thoughtfully designed for the conscious consumer. Public Goods searches the globe to find clean, healthy, eco-friendly and innovative products. 
I just placed an order for a ton of pastas, sauces, spices and oils and cannot wait to get cooking. Public Goods is also a great place to get beautifully packaged gifts for friends and family. They ethically source and obsessively develop each of their products to be free of unhealthy ingredients and harmful additives still common on drug and grocery store shelves. They are committed to making their products healthy and safe for humans, animals and the environment. I worked out an awesome deal just for my listeners. Receive $15 off your first public goods order with no minimum purchase. That's right. They are so confident that you will absolutely love their products and come back again and again that they're giving you $15 to spend on your first purchase. Plus, right now, receive your choice of either a free pack of bamboo straws or reusable food storage wraps with your order. You have nothing to lose. Just go to publicgoods.com forward slash Dr. Leaf or use the code Dr. Leaf at checkout. That is P-U-B-L-I-C-G-O-O-D-S dot com forward slash Dr. Leaf to receive $15 off your first order. The link and offer details will be in the show notes. This is a good one. It's still yeah. on the consent thing. I just wanted to say like your child doesn't want to hug grandma. And I, you know, we've, we, I grew up in the sort of, you just do what you're, you hug, you, you know, you just do it. You don't question. And I know this has come up with my kids where they didn't want to hug grandma. And I love your answer. Tell your child, you don't have to, sweetie. Only you know what feels right for you. Child learns. I know what feels comfortable to me. I can trust my body's instincts. I can make decisions that feel good to me, even if they inconvenience others. Wow. Powerful. And then, yeah, talk about that one. I mean, listen, yeah, we can talk I mean, for 20 I hours think, about each of these things. They're so yeah, good. So <laughs> It's just, it's so important, right? And I think it's so easy to look at these moments like, who cares? I'm making my four-year-old hug grandparents. So make my grand, the grandparent happy. But these patterns, and of course, none of this happens one time, right? But the overall patterns are what our kids are learning about what is okay and what is not okay, who they have to be, and what feelings they can trust and what feelings they should push away. And knowing the type of physical contact you want to have with someone is just something I feel very protective over for my kids' bodies. Like, I don't, that idea of, just do this thing with your body because someone wants you to. I mean, I don't even think I have to spell it out, but I, but I could because I'm not afraid to name it. I don't want my kids in a room with someone like, oh, this this guy wants me to give him a blowjob, so I guess I'm just going to do that. And I I do think the the connection is there, right? Because we're not we're just talking about do I have sovereignty over my own body? That's a huge thing, and I think it's important. And, you know, a lot of parents see that they go, this is what I want, but how do I manage my mom saying, oh, you're making grandma so sad, you know, or, oh, grandma. And to me, I, I would jump in there. I would say first to my child, because that's the one I'm trying to protect. Grandma sad because she wishes you would give her a hug. One of the things I'm going to help you learn is even when people wish things for you, if you don't feel comfortable doing it, you still don't have to. Even I might add, grandma's a big girl and can take care of her sad feelings, <laughs> right? And like, it's really important. Such a huge message. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, uh, I, I thank you for saying that's why I picked that one because it's, that is a vitally important component in a, a child being able to grow into an adult who can say no to the situations where they feel like they have to please someone. You don't have to please anyone. You know, it's not like, you're, you're, and you're not being mean. 
you know, you, it's, it's not that your empathy is decreased or you're, you're becoming a mean person. You're not. You're just basically being the person that you can be so that you can be that empathic person. You can't be, you know, you can't be yourself if you are forcing yourself to please other people. And, and, you know, I think that, I think the extension of that that's really interesting is to me, our personal boundaries are actually what allows for empathy because. Totally. Oh, if, totally. I agree. 100%. Right. So it's not mm. empathic if we feel oh, someone else is sad that I don't want to do something, so I'm going to do it for them. That's that's an enmeshment of kind of whose feeling is who. That's not empathy. Empathy is saying, oh, even it's like, oh, I can't come to your birthday dinner and you're really disappointed. I actually need to remember that's her feeling, not mine, to have empathy for her feeling. Taking away her feeling is more about my guilt reduction than it is about empathy. That's not empathy. No, it's not empathy. That's so good. I actually wrote my most recent book about the, from the, the neuroscience side that our mind is like this gravitational field and thoughts are real things and they generate photons of energy. And if you, if someone's pain is not something you can actually process, you do not have the ability to take that person's toxic pain and put that in your body. It's going to create tremendous neurochemical disarray in your brain and neurochemical dis- that, that you're actually going to be spatting so much to deal with that, that you will not be able to have empathy. So for empathy to increase where you can actually have wisdom in the situation you need to protect yourself and let that deflect off you and it's not being cold it's being protective so that you can have the vision to have empathy empathy doesn't occur if you absorb someone's pain empathy occurs when you protect yourself because you can't absorb it. it doesn't fit with your body it's not yours so you've got to keep it out so that you can have perspective in order to help them. So, I mean, that's just like the sort of a bit of brain science side. Yes. I love <laughs> that. Whole thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so important. Okay. Well, let's just, let's just touch one more thing here. Yes. Yeah. Let's just talk about whining. Love we talking can, about we can whining. Handle it. Yeah, I like that. I, I can do. see that. I can see that you've got some great humor here. So ways <laughs> to respond to whining, humor, model the request without whining, permit protest, the fill up game, empathy and boundary. Okay. So we've, you kind of touch the empathy boundary. Take that away. Let's make that right. the last sort of. So I think the first question in jet, right? Whining triggers so many parents. It's just a trigger, right? And I, I think before I say a little bit about whining, the idea of triggers in parents, I think are really interesting in that if we all think right now about like, which of my kids am I most triggered by and what quality is that in my child, right? Is it my child never says no or my child seems to give up easily or right? my child's so helpless or my child won't take help, right? To think about that. And then I think the step further is the thing we're triggered in by our child shows us the part of ourselves we had to learn to shut down in our own childhood. It's our least owned part. Because when we see something we're triggered by, we have a shutdown response. That's why we're reactive. And talking about how we react to others based on how we react to ourselves, if we learn that we had to shut down a part of ourselves, then when that thing is seen in our kid, we that that basically reaction to us is like, oh, I know, I, I can handle the situation. I know what to do. And whining to me is a symbol of helplessness. It's just, you know, you feel so helpless and so down and so overwhelmed by your frustration and if you grew up in a family, like I think a lot of people did, where there was kind of a pull up your bootstraps, you know, no vulnerability, then you had to learn to shut down your own helplessness, which comes out for everyone, your own vulnerability. And so you see it in your kid and your body has that exact same reaction. And before I get more specifically about whining, to me, one of the most powerful things we can do as a parent, if we're willing to really grow in this way, is to know that part of our kid that we look to shut down in ourselves and almost take inspiration by that saying like, I can actually close the gap between me and my child, not by shutting us down in my child, but probably by trying to grow that part in myself. 
And it just, you know, this happens a lot. Like my son never takes no for an answer. My oldest one, he just always has an argument. will be good for him later in life, but it's so exhausting. And me and my husband both were kind of like, quote, good compliant kids. And it, it triggers us. And one of the things I said to him recently is, you know, look, I know we give you a hard time about that. But at the same time, you've taught me a lot about standing up for myself when I really believe I deserve something. And it really softens the dynamic and makes both people kind of a little moderate. And so, so whining. So I think just knowing that, that like that's, you know, parents say to me, is not everyone triggered by whining? It, everyone's not actually. Like they're triggered by something else. So when your kid's whining, right? I think we have we really have this impulse to shut down or, or just add shame, right? Well, and we even say something to a kid often, like, I need you to ask that in a nicer voice. And again, I just come to myself, like if I said something to, you know, someone and my friend said to me, I need you to ask that in a nicer voice. I would just be like, I would have some choice words, you know? Like, So I think one of the things parents can do is just even model it in that quote, nicer voice themselves. So a kid says, mom, can you get me water? I'll say, mom, can you get me water? Oh, sure, sweetie. Thanks for asking. It's such a strong voice. And then just go do the whole thing myself, give it to my child and move on. Like, just don't add shame. Don't add lectures, right? Again, we don't like being lectured. Neither do kids. And then I think humor and playfulness is a huge thing because it adds connection when we're playful, right? Not mockery. That's that's really important, the difference. Yeah. Right? So to me with the wine, something I'll often say to my kids is like, oh, oh no. Oh, that wine, those wines got in here. Uh, how did those wines get in here? I'm going to take it out of your mouth and I'll kind of go and I'll go to a window and open it up and kind of pretend to throw it and then like slam the window. Ooh, gave those to our neighbors. Ooh, I would not want to be in their house. Sorry, what did you say you want? Nine times out of 10, then my daughter will say, can I please have some water, mom? <coughs> because she's laughing. Yes. I need some water. <laughs> <laughs> the cue. <laughs> and so, again, just these moments where whenever we're frustrated with our kid, trying to think of ways just to reconnect and humor and playfulness to me is always, is always something that makes kids feel. It works. It yeah, works. It works. It works, so, it works it, yeah. for us too, right? Yeah, that works. It's so good. That's wonderful. Oh, Bec- Dr. Becky, this has been fantastic. I think we could talk for hours about so mm-hmm. many different concepts and it's such important information. Thank you for sharing this with us. Where can people find out more about you? So many different places. Well, I would say goodinside.com is the hub of everything. My new podcast, my newsletter, my courses and workshops, which are kind of deep dives into so many parenting and reparenting kind of topics. And then my Instagram at Dr. Becky at Good Inside. So it's the at symbol, Dr. Becky, A-T, Good Inside. Got it. And I'll put all those links in the show notes as well. Well, just in closing, how do you clean up your mental mess? How do I do that? I go to weekly therapy that really focuses a lot on slowing down my body and pausing. Yoga is a really important place that I get out of my own productivity, which is something I'm good at, which seems, which is helpful to me, but I always need an antidote to that, which is just being still and being in my body. And then connecting with, you know, my family and my friends and having time for kind of my close, trusted, personal relationships is is really, really important to me. I love that. Beautiful. I agree with all those. I think they're wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. It was really a great discussion. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. Me too. Thank you so much for having me. Fantastic. And we'll see you again next week. Thanks everyone for joining us. I hope you found today's podcast interesting and helpful. 
If you want more tips and help with managing anxiety, depression, and mental health, be sure to visit my website at drleaf.com and to sign up for my weekly newsletter where I also include a schedule of my speaking events and so much more. And follow me on social media. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Just look for Dr. Caroline Leaf. Also, I love seeing all your posts on social media about this podcast. I love seeing what resonates with you and what you've learned. So be sure to continue posting and tagging me and letting me know what you think and how these tips worked out for you. And don't forget, leave a review and keep spreading the word about this podcast. Thank you for joining me today. I really hope you learned something new and helpful. Till then, I'm Dr. Caroline Leaf. This podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for educational and informational purposes only. Please consult your healthcare professional for any individual medical questions you may have. While we make every effort to ensure that the information we are sharing is accurate, we welcome any comments, suggestions or corrections of errors.